0: Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. This is what the word of the Lord says. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtol, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord of hosts. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yes, once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of your nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And the, latter of the, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time to gather together today to worship you lord i pray that you will bless this message and and that we will see your glory magnified help us lord to worship you better not just on sunday mornings but throughout our week as well as we seek to love you and serve our families and our communities lord i also pray and and thank you so much for our pastor and his family that you've um, hopefully have given him some much-needed rest Lord, but at the same time, we, we see him teaching Sunday school and leading worship. So we're thankful to have such as a pastor with a serving heart, Lord. So thank you for what you continue to do in and through our church. In your precious name we pray, amen. You guys may take a seat. It was about seven weeks ago that I opened up Haggai chapter 1. And shortly afterwards, Pastor Travis and I decided, what a great small book um, that we could preach to our congregation. And that has now turned into a short series. So Lord willing, assuming all goes well, Pastor Travis will actually finish up the book of Haggai next week. But since this has turned into a a short sermon series, now I just want to recap what we uh, we learned about in Haggai chapter 1. So previously, the so message that was given through Haggai was given to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, who was the high priest. Some quick history just concerning what has occurred around Haggai. We see a Babylon annihilated the temple in 586 BC under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. So the temple began to be rebuilt in 526 now, during that time, however, the, the reconstruction of the temple was never completed. And the Jews stopped rebuilding the temple shortly after because of the religious persecution that they were facing between the Jews and the, the Samaritans. Now, we don't know much about Haggai himself, and biblical scholars have suggested that the name probably means festive or festival due to the multiple festivals that have occurred during the short, short passage. So the book of Haggai is divided into four or five oracles, depending on how you want to separate and, and break up the passages here. But the very first oracle that we learned about seven weeks ago began on August 29, 520 BC. Now, they will be important in, in just a little bit. But see, what the Lord is trying to do through the book of Haggai, the Lord is trying to teach the people the beauty and the importance of worship. The first chapter addresses the discontentment of the people as things were and Haggai 2 is going to to address the discontentment of the people as they were attempting to rebuild this temple. So for our note takers, I know there's quite a few of you, we're going to have three points. Now if you remember from Haggai 1, some of these points are probably going to be very familiar, but we will have three points this morning. So point number one, Check your attitude towards worship. Check your attitude towards worship. For the sermon point, it's uh, probably extremely familiar to you from Haggai chapter 1, because it's literally the same point. I apologize, I'm not super creative. But point number one, check your attitude towards worship. So Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we read, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtol, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you? Who is left among you who saw the house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not? Has nothing in your eyes? So what we can glean from this text is... The same thing that we've learned from Haggai chapter 1. See, remember the Lord is trying to teach the importance of worship and to consider your ways was a big point that I made. Consider your ways in worship. So the dates mentioned in Haggai chapter 2 help us to provide us with some context surrounding what is happening during this time. Like I mentioned earlier, biblical scholars think the word Haggai means festive or festival. Festival. So one week, seven days, on the 15th day in the seventh month, there's a festival called the Festival of Booths. Festival of Booths lasts one week long. And Leviticus, if you want to turn there, um, Leviticus chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. And this will just give us a little bit of history of what occurs during this Festival of Booths. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. And it reads, starting in verse 39, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solid rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in the booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in the booths, that, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land near Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So during this festival of booths, the population would essentially live in these booths that they've made from these trees and these branches and leaves. And they would do this for seven days. And the idea was to remember what the Lord did for them by providing for them and delivering them out of Egypt during the Exodus. See, while people were coming together and taking part in this festival, they probably noticed the mess of rubble that has been sitting before them from the previous temple. So, remember the temple, the construction began roughly 16 years prior to this date. So, only a few weeks ago did the people restart that project. So, not only during harvest season, but also during a festival, mind you. And a little bit uh, from what I said during Haggai 1, there is also an onslaught of war as well. So, you have a festival, you have harvest season, and then you have p- potential preparations for a war. And what they're trying to do, they're trying to not only clean up the mess that has been left, but also gather the necessary materials to to go and rebuild this temple. See, the people look at this construction project and they're discouraged. They don't see expensive materials like they saw in Solomon's temple. They don't see nice pieces of wood or skilled labor. So I want to pay attention to who Haggai addresses in the second chapter. If we remember from Haggai 1, 1, it was to the governor and to the high priest. That is who who the message was to. Now in Haggai chapter 2, we read in verse 2, it was not only to the governor, but to the high priest, and it also says in all the remnants of the people. The very people that have been commissioned by Yahweh to go to gather and build in Haggai chapter 1 are the people who are discouraged. See, the Temple of Solomon was destroyed roughly 65, 66 years prior, before this date. So when Haggai asks them, he says, Well, who saw this house in the former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? He's revealing their sins to them. They desire to look at something magnificent rather or something magnificent and and something spectacular. They want to look at a physical temple. So similarly to that of the golden calf that, we've, that we know about, the people seem to be focused on a physical object rather than that of a glorious Savior. And it's not the lack of the, of the construction project that is causing the people to be content. People are assuming that the Lord will not be pleased because of the lack of the, per, of the precious materials. I just want to read a passage to you in Isaiah 66, one. You don't have to flip there. But Isaiah 66.1 says, Thus says the Lord... Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you should build for me and what is the place of my rest? Can humans really build something worthy enough for the Lord to establish an eternal resting place? The answer is no. And because we are incapable of building something worthy enough to establish an eternal resting place for the Lord, we ought to be hesitant in complaining whether this building is better than the previous building. It is foolish to think that just because we have a larger or more beautiful building is going to somehow make our worship more honorable or worthy. The Lord He's stirring up the hearts of these people to try to get them to understand the true meaning of worship. We come to church each Sunday to corporately worship to give honor and reverence to the Lord. We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school. We sing songs to praise His name, and we read the Scriptures to proclaim His glory. So the point again is, well, what is your attitude towards worship? We ought to be guarding our hearts and knowing and recognizing that the church on Sunday is not supposed to be a place for unbelievers. It's probably a hot-button issue here, but the church on Sunday is not supposed to be a place for unbelievers. I want to make sure that, I, that I, I make this very clear. If you are not a Christian here with us today at Providence Performed Church, you are more than welcome to continue to attend. You are more than welcome to join us. But, well, in fact, with that being said, we're, we're having a fellowship meal afterwards. Please stay, attend, come and join with us, fellowship with one of us. But, as Christians, or the Christians here, we're here for a purpose. And that purpose is to praise the Lord and to worship him for what he has done on the cross. Now, if you're an unbeliever, attending worship should feel odd to you. It should be a little weird. You probably don't know the tune or the lyrics to the songs. You probably don't understand the importance of what we are doing when we pray, when we sing, when someone reads scriptures, or later today, when we take communion. You know, and that's Okay. See, corporate worship in the liturgy is designed for God's chosen people so that we can worship him. If we think, well, if only we had better instruments or if only the flooring was different or the walls were different colors or if only we had better programs we're no different than the Jews who were discontent with the size and the structure of the temple that is being built. But see, worship doesn't just stay here on Sunday mornings, worship extends outside the home throughout the week. So true worship ought to impact our day-to-day lives. Performing acts of service that are connected to the revealed will of God is also considered an act of worship. For the woman who stays at home and cook and clean, that's an act of worship. For the parents who go to work each and every day to provide for their families is an act of worship. For me to change my son's diapers, stinky ones, mind you, that is also an act of worship. So our choice to respectfully obey the Lord and honor Him through our obedience day to day, that is an act of worship. So do we complain and do we grumble? Or do we, have a, do, we, do we have a heart of servitude and know that we owe our respect and honor and obedience to the Lord? Point number two. Remember the presence of God. Point number two: Remember the presence of God. Haggai chapter two. We'll read verses four through five. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel! Declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land! Declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when he came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. To make better sense of this passage, remember that Haggai is delivering this message during a time when the people are supposed to be rebuilding this temple. Commentary suggests that because this is the last day of the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles, Some uh, translations might use as a heading. The temple is not what they remember or what they have heard about. Multiple people are taking part in this festival probably have made ill comments about what looks like a pile of rubble on the ground still. See, the first oracle, and this is where that date is important. The first oracle that was given on August 29th, 520 BC, from the time that Haggai commissions Zerubbabel in Joshua and Haggai 1, this has really only been about a month and a half. This time is not that long. Now, how excited do you become when you start a new project or the first of the year, everyone wants to have those goals. I'm going to read my Bible more. Or, I'm going to work out more. First week is good. Second week is good. Third week is, I'm sore, I'm tired today. Or I don't feel like getting up early and reading today. And what happens? By the time a month and a half rolls around, you're probably have completely neglected the very thing that you set your heart out to do. So through Haggai, the Lord tells, us, tells the people to be strong. He dresses uh, the high priest, dresses the governor, he dresses the people, telling them to be strong. And he repeats this phrase to everyone to ensure that they are not left out. Be strong and keep working. God reminds them of the covenant that they made with them during the Exodus. See, the Lord reminds them that he is not distancing himself from them. That's another topic that we heard about in Sunday school, growth class. See, the best thing that the Lord does here is he encourages the people. He brings encouragement to them. The Lord declares, for I am with you. Listen to just the promise that the Lord gave to them after he delivered them from Exodus. In Exodus 29, verse 45 through 6, 45 and verse 46 reads, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them for I am the Lord their God. The encouragement given to these people is the encouragement is to work. The Lord gave them simply more than just words of encouragement. See, Yahweh, he reminded them of the promise that he gave to them previously. We know that the Lord has a purpose and a plan for these people. He's not telling them to build this temple and it's going to go in vain. He's telling them to labor because there's a promise, there's something better that is to come. The people, with, with the reminder of the Exodus, the people ought to work and need to work because of the provisions that the Lord has already done for them. See, the people need to work because of the comfort that the Lord has provided. The people need to work to build the temple so they can enjoy the presence of God when they come and worship him corporately. One last command is, is given at the end in verses 4 and 5. So the very, it's really the very, very last two words of verse 5 say, Fear not. The command is to fear not if we understand the significance of what the Lord did during the Exodus, these last two words are extremely powerful. So not only does the Lord tell his people to not fear, but he has given them a promise. He has given them reasons to not fear. See, with a reminder that came from the Exodus, they will remember that it was the Lord who sustained them, and it was the Lord who brought them to safety. How can we remember the presence of the Lord? You can pray more. Not only praying more, but specifically praying for spiritual growth. Pray that the Lord changes your heart to be focused more on heavenly things. Remember the promise given to the people during the Exodus is similar to the promises given by Christ during the Great Commission when he declares, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Point number three, look to the promised Messiah. Look to the promised Messiah. Haggai 2, verses 6 through 9 reads, For thus says Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of his house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. To kind of steal some contents that I uh, tried to expose on, when taught on Haggai 1, there's a significance of the Lord describing him as Lord of hosts. See, the Lord, during, when, he's, when he's describing himself as the Lord of hosts, he's declaring his majesty and his glory over all of creation. Amos 4.13 reads, For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the winds and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the height of the earth. Yahweh, the God of hosts, is his name. See, the Lord who rules over all of creation is declaring once more that he is going to again, he's going to shake the heavens and the earth. If you remember what happened at Mount Sinai, Moses went up the mountain to speak on behalf of the people, and on the third day it was the mountain was covered with smoke, and the whole earth shook and trembled. See, the Lord he says tells them once more, he will not shake just the earth. He's going to shake the heavens and all of the nations. Yahweh always telling the people that he is going to exercise his dominion and rule over everything and that through his power, nations are going to rise and nations are going to fall. Am I the only one or does anyone else like puns or, or play on words? Are we punny people? Okay. Good. So I want to help us to see a little bit of Hebrew wordplay here. Now, it doesn't immediately appear when we, when we read this, but... Once we see the connection, we see what the Lord is trying to communicate to his people. So Haggai chapter 2, verses 7. In the ESV, this verse reads, And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. Other translations might read, And I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come in. Sounds very similar. Very similar. But some scholars have argued that to correctly understand this passage here in specific, you must link the word come to the singular noun desire. So the difference would be that the thing to come would be singular, while the other reading would be the treasures of the nations. The thing to come, the treasures of the nations would be plural. Again, a little bit of play on word there. And some scholars have used that reading of the form of the word to place an emphasis on the coming Messiah. Well, at first reading, that seems unlikely. It does, however, fit the context and the larger picture of what the Lord is trying to communicate to his people. God has much more knowledge than we do, and he's much smarter than we are. So these debates over whether we should see the plural form of the word or the singular form of the word are really just two sides of the same coin. They both fit the context and help to reveal how God is better than the gold and the silver, that was once in the temple. And that the glory once visited the previous temple was a precursor to something even more glorious. So to see the the two sides of the coin there, if the people are worried about the gold and the silver and the more skilled labor to come and to build the temple, when the Lord tells them to be strong and to keep working, it is because he is telling them that he is going to provide for them. He's telling them that because he is above all and over all, the provisions that they think that they need will be provided for. See, all money, resources, and everything given to us are ultimately the Lord's. We have just been given dominion over what we own, and we are told to be good stewards of all that we have. God's not concerned with, with what the people have. God's resources are limitless. So flip that coin over on the other side of it. We read in verse 9, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. And if we, if we don't see this other side of the coin, we fail to see what the Lord had revealed to Zerubbabel, to Joshua, and to all the remnants of the people. See, the people, they've been complaining and they've discouraged because of the comments that have probably been made throughout this festival. They have been complaining because they're struggling to find food and to provide for their families. They're struggling to have the resources they need. So now we get to the building of the temple and now the people are looking at this this rubble because it's not yet completed and they're realizing that, hey, this temple is smaller than what we remember from Solomon's temple. This temple doesn't have the pretty provisions that we remember Solomon having. So hearing Haggai tell them that the temple to come is going to be more glorious than the previous temple had to raise some eyebrows. How can this tiny temple be more glorious than Solomon's temple? On one hand, Herod the Great began his building project about 40 years prior to Jesus' coming. In addition to Solomon's temple, he added, or I'm sorry, in, in addition, he added onto this temple. So then we so some of Jesus' disciples even commented on how that the temple that Christ physically was present and physically physically walked in, they made comments on how beautiful the stones were, how beautiful the building materials were in Luke 21, verse 5. The Lord provided the physical beauty that the people were complaining about. But still, something greater is to come. This temple is the temple that Jesus Christ physically walked in. This temple in Haggai. So previously in Solomon's temple, the glory of God was revealed in some obscure form. See, the glory of God was not revealed through the form of a cloud when Jesus Christ was present. The, form, the glory was revealed through the completed work of a physical Jesus Christ. See, Haggai brought together the splendor and the material like the gold and the silver and the glory of God, and he used, that, he used those examples to emphasize how how much better having Christ physically present in the temple was. How much better it was than having a bigger or a more beautiful temple. See, the temple that the people were complaining about in verse 3 is the very temple that Haggai is telling them that something better is to come. When he declares, in this place, probably pointing to the rubble, in this place I will give peace. The Lord, again, is going to shake up the world he's going to call nations to rise and nations to fall and the lord desires that we have the right attitude towards worship and that we long to give him the glory and honor that he deserves now when we honor the lord rightly we begin to focus our attention on heavenly things focusing our eyes upwards helps us to remember the presence of god and to remember the power of our lord and when we look at the death, the burial, the life and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the work that He did on behalf of His people, then we begin, begin to see what the Lord meant. And Christ's essence and the purpose of the Old Testament were fulfilled. For in him Christ, all the nation, or all the, for in him Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time to come together and to worship you, Lord, to gather. Ask that you challenge us this morning to change our heart, to change our attitude towards worship. See, worship is not just worship corporately on Sunday, Lord, but to change our hearts, to show acts of worship through each and every day of the week. Lord, help us to sing more, to pray more, to read your word more, and to respond to the preaching more effectively. Also, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship you today by taking elements of Lord's Supper. May we take what we have learned from your Word today and respond to the preaching well. In your precious name we pray. Amen.